Welcome to the Inspired Leader, the podcast. I'm your host, Allie Stone. All of my life, I've been passionate about leadership. I've been a senior level leader in the hospitality industry since 2005, growing a chain of franchise restaurants from one unit to 12, spanning across Northern Alberta. And during that time, I've been on a journey to discover what leadership means to me and how I can utilize it to show up in my career and in my life. What I've found is that the most impactful, the most meaningful experiences that I've witnessed or been a part of as a leader have come when we connect with our hearts. Over the past decade or more, I've honed in on and refined a leadership model that speaks to this. I have developed numerous programs that help leaders deepen their understanding of the impact they can not only have on their careers, but also on the world around them. And now it's my mission to share this model of leadership through a heart-centered focus with the world. I'm the founder of The Inspired Leader, through which I mentor and coach leaders. I facilitate engaging and inspiring workshops that help you think outside of the box and connect with your heart and your emotions. And I also deliver keynote speeches to inspire and motivate teams to engage in their own personal leadership style in a way that's authentic to them. It's my hope that through these podcasts, you feel inspired to go out and challenge yourself to try new things as a leader, to show up in the world maybe just a little differently, and hopefully find a deeper connection with who you authentically are. Thank you for being here. Okay, so before we hop into today's Inspired Leader podcast, I just wanted to uh, mention that this is a pre-recorded podcast from the Discovering Hospitality podcast that I used to run. Now, this podcast was all about sharing stories of people in the hospitality industry, but what ended up happening in a lot of these conversations was they ended up being focused on or centered around leadership, and it struck me that there was probably some really good podcasts that we could listen to again here, and when I listened to them, I realized there was so much value and so much wisdom in some of these podcasts. So with that, I hope you enjoy this podcast. And as always, thank you for listening. All right. So uh, back for another week of Discovering Hospitality. As always, I'm very excited to be here. And um, this guest I have this week for you, um, I've been waiting for a long time. I love her so much. And I'm just so excited to spend some time talking with her. Um, Megan Keelahan. Meg, it's so great to see you today. Thank you for being here with me today. Thanks Um, for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm sorry it took so long. <laughs> You've always been on my on my list of people because I think that we lead the same. I think we believe in a lot of the same things. And I think we're going to have a really great conversation today. So yeah, I've been really looking forward to it. I was telling Chris when we were having lunch just now, it's like, yeah, I got Megan on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are going to have a good combo. So yeah. <laughs> Um, so let's just start off. Why don't you start off by introducing yourself a little bit on the podcast? So, you know, who you are, maybe a little bit of how you know each other, how we got connected, how you ended up here, whatever you'd like to share. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess whenever I introduce myself, I attribute myself to hospitality right away. And I kind of talk about how I've been in the industry since I was 17 years old, and it's shaped so many of my experiences since then. 
it's led to so many opportunities and friendships and connections and all that kind of stuff in my life. Um, but right now I live in Kelowna and I am the kind of general area manager of three pizza shops out here. Um, I live here with my dog, Gemma. You can see her back there. She's uh, 13 She's so and a half. Yeah, she helps me run the show. Um, yeah, we live in Kelowna and it's a big change from living in Alberta for most of my life. Um, the industry is different out here. So yeah, it's just been a couple of years of learning, learning new things out here, but yeah, this is, that's me, I guess, in a nutshell. <laughs> what have been some of like the differences you've noticed between BC and Alberta or, or Kelowna specifically? What are some of those things that you're identifying? Um, well, the workforce has always been a little bit different. Um, there's, I just find out here that um, work isn't necessarily a top priority for a lot of people, it's a very, out here is very um, entrepreneurial. Almost everybody has their own side hustle. Um, they work for a locally owned business, things like that. So that's where even the really young people out here, that's where they're hyper-focused is they're starting their own revenue stream, their own business, getting their own ideas off the ground. So to attract young people, which generally hospitality and especially like a pizza place, um, normally that we employ, it takes just a little bit of different creativity that I've, I've just haven't had to strive so hard and work so hard to try and get people to come to work or, or want a job before. So, yeah, totally. That's interesting. Um, and I know, I know a lot of people have come across that. My sister started a business in interior BC too, at one point too, and kind of, and it wasn't even something she would need young people for. And she was really struggling. Yeah. To find workers and stuff. And so it's interesting about that mentality. And I like the way that you're describing it, because I think that's super cool that these people have this entrepreneurial spirit, like they're going to bring a lot of creativity and innovation and things to the world that might not have existed had that kind of culture not existed there, too. So there, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's good and bad parts to it. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, you just have to be really creative and I don't know, you just have to roll the punches and realize that if there's just not a physical person there to do that job today, you just have to find another solution. And you have to almost bank on being a part of the community, well known in the community so that people understand and that you can be honest with them and, and let them know if they have um, a son or daughter or where they themselves are looking for part time work, <laughs> that we're here for them. <laughs> So uh, talk to me a little bit about the pizza shop. Where is it that you work? What's it all about? What's the premise? Oh my God, it's such a cool place. So um, the owners of Denenzi's, Karen and Deb, they're from Alberta as well, but they moved out here uh, about 11 years ago. And the reason they started Denenzi's was because they were out like having drinks one night and they were looking for late night pizza, like you would like the Funky Pickle or Steel Wheels or something in Edmonton. And they couldn't find anywhere. And they were like, this is kind of bullshit. What the hell? Let's open a pizza place. How hard can it be? And then they got together with a few other cousins and they drank a bunch of bottles of wine and made a whole bunch of pizza. You know, like you can relate to that. Totally can. <laughs> and um, yeah, thought of all these funny names for it and then leased this little kind of hole in the wall space right downtown. And it was just the two of them for a lot of years making pizza and chatting up people. And if you ever met Karen and Deb, you'd know that like, 
they're just like the salt of the earth kind of people. Like they each have their own love language, but it's so, you can just like feel it when you walk into a room with them. And I think over the years, that's what, like the pizza is really good. Don't get me wrong, but it's like the feeling you get when you go in there. Cause it's just be who you are. That's very much how they've kept, you know, employees for almost the entire tenure of Denenzi is still making pizza and working late nights and stuff like that. Cause the focus is just be who you are. Yeah. And they just kind of ran with that and supporting all these community events over the last 10 years. And yeah, they managed to open four pizza shops, each one a little bit different. And now um, the fourth location, which is like a full service restaurant. We have 180 seats and it's oh, just, that's a big restaurant. <laughs> it's huge from like going to only op- having like 10 seats in each little takeout shop yeah. to have 180 seats. <laughs> like we opened on a Monday and since that one Monday we've never been open on a Monday (laughs) we just think they're cursed (laughs) oh Oh, man crazy but yeah it's just like supported by the community and Mm -hmm. yeah it's really fun yeah I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that the restaurant today too because I think um well I've seen some really cool things over the years, first of all, like when you first kind of like started with them, I just noticed you guys were like a really cool family, <laughs> like everything you guys would post and, you know, everything that would show up on, on your social pages and stuff. Like, I remember you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you guys like did a polar dip and stuff together and like, oh, yeah. stuff, like, like way back in the day, you guys <laughs> did like really fun. And I was like, oh, this just looks like such a fun place to work. And I know that you're part of bringing that to that <laughs> too. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but I'm sure um, Karen and Deborah like have this down pat too, right? I'm yeah. sure that these kind of people. Um, but as you know, as things progress through the pandemic, and obviously, you know, same with British Columbia as Alberta, you faced a lot of shutdowns and restrictions and like crazy things going on. Um, there was kind of like a moment in time where you guys decided <laughs> not to let it get the better of you. Um, and you guys, I, I read an article about you, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but you almost started like a community impact initiative where you took like the food that was going to go to waste in a shutdown um, and then created a bunch of meals and got some other restaurants involved and the community involved in packing it. Do, do you know that whole story? Do you want to share that story? Because I just thought it was so amazing. It was really cool. There's actually two different kind of community initiatives that we did. So during the first shutdown, like in BC, we had that initial 10 week shutdown. Um, obviously, we were stressed and we had no idea what we were doing as everybody kind of felt that way, especially in the industry. But we did, um, Karen and Deb thought of this idea where it was, um, you could, if, if you were doing okay, if you were still employed and you knew that people were kind of out there hurting and unsure that you could donate to like the community fund. And if, um, if you were one of those people who like couldn't put food on your table that week, or you were just worked to the bone and super stressed and you just needed a break that you could call in and access that community fund. So the first community initiative was really cool because it was asking the community to take care of their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And in that first 10 weeks, I think there was like a kitty of like $3,500 that nurses, doctors, other people in the service industry who had been laid off, like all these people could access if they needed 
And, you know, we were struggling too, because we didn't know what was going to happen. So it was really awesome to see the community just say, yeah, like, we'll take part in this and we'll throw some money in and buy somebody dinner if they need it. And people would call into all of our locations to, to get dinner for the night. And it was pretty awesome to see our team deliver it and, you know, be able to have connections with them at the door and hear their stories of, of how things were going. And I think that was really important at that time too, because nobody knew everybody just had this feeling of uncertainty and nobody knew if they were overreacting or if it was just them or like yeah what right people were just trying to hold it together for their families or the people watching and and to have like a little outlet for somebody to come and say it's okay we know this sucks was yeah I think it changed it helped our team get through it too yeah there and was then, so much separation right it was so tough like and you're saying like people didn't know if how they were feeling was right or wrong you didn't even have anybody to talk to about it like you couldn't like go have coffee with your best friend and talk about how you were feeling or about how you were just laid off from your job or you know like all these crazy things that were happening and so I think it was it was I don't want to say worse I don't know if that's the right word it was like intense it was more intense than we thought it was going to be off the time and it all happened overnight too right like wasn't like prepare yourselves for this. It was like St. Patrick's day, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're done. Yeah. You're not, you're not getting it. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, yeah, when there was another, the second shutdown, I can't remember when, when that came or when we got kind of put back on to takeout only, we'd just done a huge food order and only, you know, only so much of that is going to last for so long. So we took um, a lot of the proteins and the veg and stuff like that. And we made chilies and soups and our team, as well as, um, a lot of community volunteers went out and delivered them. And we just put something out on social media that said, if you need something, let us know and we'll get it to you. And we tried to get back to everybody we could, but we got over 500 people that reached out to say like, and telling us their stories too, not just saying like, I need food, like telling us what was going on with them. And it was humbling because it would just be so hard to be in that situation. A lot of us you know, or, you know, asking for help is a really hard thing to do Mm -hmm. and to be able to reach out like that and tell your story and ask for help was humbling. And it also felt like a great responsibility to be able to take care of those people, even just for one night, it it just made you want to do more, right. Be able to fix everybody or give everybody a job or. (laughs) That was exactly what I was thinking. Like, that's a huge responsibility. Once you get all 500 of those stories like were you guys able to handle that capacity did you uh we got pretty much everybody that we could and then um yeah we sent out a lot of pizzas after that (laughs) once we reopened and stuff yeah we just made whack load of pizzas and sent them all out because wow yeah I think that that's interesting that that many people would reach out and ask for help hey yeah it was amazing the vulnerability of those people to be able and not just ask for help like I said to to tell their story but it also made me realize that there was probably so many other people out there who didn't have that courage to even ask for help like that it just really shone a light on how how tough of a go people have been having the last 18 months yeah for sure and so all these things like you're talking about are such a I don't know 
it's a different way of leading than has traditionally thought <laughs> to be the way that we should lead our organizations and our companies and our businesses into the world. And that, mm -hmm. you know, like we need to make enough money first to give back. Um, and then we find ourselves, you're talking about a story where you found yourself in a situation where you're literally making no money <laughs> and you're giving back. And to me, I call that leading from the heart. I always say like, and it's not about being stupid. <laughs> so yeah. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> or like, it's about like blowing, yeah, <laughs> blowing <laughs> your business up, but it's about putting people first, right? It's about common humanity. It's about this like celebration of life together, um, community, you know, like it's such a, it's such an important piece for me. So I'm just wondering, like for you, what does it mean to lead from the heart when I say that? Uh, well, <laughs> it, I was thinking about this and I, I used to think that it um, meant like that you just have to do everything that everyone asks of you and that you have to be, and I like, I know that's the people pleaser in me and a lot of people who are in leadership roles have that natural way about them because they like taking care of people. So that that's what I thought. But what I learned, and I, re I actually remember the day that I learned it and I was able to put it in practice um, was I, you and your husband, Chris, were sitting at the bar at Windermere and I was going through something with an employee and it was so difficult and it was like emotionally weighing me down and I was questioning like who I was and how I was leading and what I was doing in this job and was I being selfish and all these different things. And Chris looked at me and he said, your sensitivity is a superpower. You know when things are not right and you have an ability to interpret other people's emotions around you and don't ever let anybody tell you that that is a weakness. It's a superpower. And I don't know, I just took that and ran with it, I guess. And I, I, yeah, started to like listen to myself and pay attention closer to how people were feeling in their mannerisms and, and understand what they needed. And I was being, being able to tell like if people were even telling me the truth about how they felt about a situation and if I needed to put more effort into getting them to trust me. And, and so leading from the heart means to me like being able to reflect on myself, what I can do for others to gain their trust in a like healthy way obviously in a way that they you know don't feel like I would break their trust but also that they feel safe even if I can't do anything to help them that they can come to me with whatever their issues are and yeah that I don't have to pretend to be you know all about the numbers or you know super straight laced or whatever that I can be my wacky weird self and that that will draw people yeah uh to me as well and that will help them trust me so yeah I think there's this interesting realization that happens somewhere along the way when we um start to learn and so I think that leading from the heart means something a little different to all of us I think there's this underlying golden thread that is about people right uh, it's not about things it's not about tasks it's about people and connection um but there's this interesting thing I think that happens and I've heard this story a lot and you just kind of mentioned it there too, but that at some point um, we realize we can't help everybody. 
And sometimes the help is just being there, right? And just like being mm -hmm. listening. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and like experiencing true empathy. So I think there's different kinds of empathy, empathy and people have different like capacity, level capacities for it. But like true empathy and like really just being with somebody when they're in like their shittiest moments in life is something that is just like, it's very hard to come by, I've realized as I get older. <laughs> and we're lucky because we work with lots of empathetic people. Yeah. Um, but as I branch out into different organizations and look at the way different leaders lead, I'm becoming really aware that we have a lack of empathy in the workplace. And um, yeah, it needs to be addressed and talked well, about. Yeah, because you see in like, you know, social media and stuff all the time, people hustle, 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 like you got to have a side hustle, you got to turn what you love into something that makes money. And you always got to go, go, go. And there's not a lot about learning how to take care of yourself. And also as as a leader how to like create boundaries to to protect yourself because you can't if you absorb everything you know if you run a team of 50 people and every person on that team trusts you and comes to you you have to learn how to not fully absorb every single problem because then you just get lost in it all and and you you don't have a cup to pour from basically yeah. so i learned a lot about i've learned a lot about boundaries and how you can be a really empathetic person but the best help that you can really give somebody is the tools that they need to work through it and giving people resources because people will are only ready for help or for change or for you know growth when they're really ready yeah like yeah. you could say the same sentence over and over and over again and they're not going to hear it until they're really ready so I've learned and I've learned that the hard way too right like what am I doing wrong? I've, this has worked with so many other people. It's just, some people just aren't ready, but when they are, hopefully they still feel that trust with you and yeah. they'll come to you and then you can give them all the tools and still listen to them when it's their time. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but like people have said things to me in my life that I've been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And walked away from, but somewhere in that moment, my subconscious locked it in. And then when I was ready for it, it came back out and I was like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's what she meant by that. <laughs> there's um, there's a girl who used to work for me at the Elephant and Castle. So a long time ago, before I had really ever developed any skills outside of what just came natural to me. And I always, I started off my leadership journey saying things like, set your team up for success, right? Like the super yeah. basic stuff, but like, you just got to do that. And she used to roll her eyes at me all the time. And now she's like the director of banquets at a Delta hotel in Vancouver. Like she's doing amazing. And sometimes she'll message me and she'll be like, I would, you know, sometimes I say to my team, set, set your team up for success. And I just feel like I owe you something every time I say that, because I used to roll my eyes at you so hard and like, can't your team up for success. <laughs> now I realize how important it is. And I'm like, yeah, it's just when you're ready, you get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I think it's all an evolution, right? Throughout our lives and and yeah, whatever. But that's super that's super cool. I love it when people come back and tell us that stuff too. That's great. yeah, like, oh, okay. So I will I will be rewarded in this way after the fact, you're never going to set your team up for success while you work for me. 
but you'll do it for someone down the road and that's got to be enough for me. <laughs> you have to find the joy in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No success at Elephant Castle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a different, a different definition maybe of it. Definition of success. So, um, well, I kind of have two questions out of that for you. First, maybe is backing up a little bit, but I'm curious, like what made you want to be a leader in the industry? And I'll layer the other question in for you too, because you might find it all connects, but is like, how do you take care of yourself as a leader? Because I know you've grown a ton <laughs> since I've met you. And as we grow, we have to learn to take care of ourselves. So I'm just curious what that journey has been like for you too, because I think you recognize the importance of that. Mm -hmm. Well, what made me want to be a leader? I... When I started kind of on that journey at the Elephant Castle almost, you know, a decade ago, I think we just didn't really have a leader at that time. And people just started coming to me with questions and problems. And I just, as a server and a bartender, I just kind of started helping them and finding solutions and answers to things. And through that, I realized that I found like a great deal of fulfillment being able to help people solve their and learn learn new things I didn't really realize that that what that's what was happening to me inside that that's like was fulfillment at the time but that's what motiv motivated me then was being accountable to other people and and things like that and then what really kicked it off for me and kind of I've been I feel like at a steady pace since then was our first my first leadership meeting with you guys like my very first one which was so intimidating. I was in a room of like 15 people who had been running stores for so long, like with a really well-organized, you know, group of people who had so much structure and learning already. And I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing here? I have like, no idea what I'm doing. But my first week at SPEW was when you started that vulnerability training. I think it was like six. So it was a, like a crazy time to start because we're like crying at the end of every session, <laughs> like really digging deep. And I thought I was going in there to learn about like, just like the old school way of how to run a business about like learning about the numbers and how to manage labor and all these different things, which I learned, but never really in that room at that time. And that's how my journey started off was learning about vulnerability how to bring that back to my team, encourage it in other people and how it could work for the business. And I think I was hooked from then because I realized it was something completely different than what I thought it was going to be. And, and it spoke to like who I was as a person. Cause like I cry at everything <laughs> that makes me happy or sad, but everything is emotional to me. And it felt so cool to know that that could be a part of what motivates me in business and in life and in a career too. It's very cool when you start to realize that you can pull in the emotional contingent or the quotient, right? When you can pull that into being a leader, all of a sudden the way that you look at like your career completely expands. Like yeah. it feels like the possibilities are endless, which like, is what I try to convince people of these days too. And I'm like, you know, you, you have to just, you have to just taste it even just for a minute yeah. and you won't forget it. Cause it's so, it's so incredible, you know, to be able yeah. just to expand the way you see things like that. Yeah. That it was, was very eye-opening. 
<laughs> I'll have, I have to tell you that that vulnerability, I'll call it experiment, <laughs> was a real like dive off the deep end for me to do that with you guys too. I remember I said to Chris, I was like, I really think we should do this. And we were both, you know, like we knew it would be really good, but also very nervous, <laughs> not sure what the response was going to be. And, but it was the start of a whole journey into yeah. understanding ourselves first before we went out and tried to lead others. Cause really, what are, what are we saying? If we don't even know who we are, <laughs> we don't know what we value. If we don't know what's important to us. If we can't share that or talk about it or be vulnerable Mm -hmm. people aren't going to stay for the long term right like they're yeah, just and trust us with what's going on in their life and how they feel about certain things trust us to disagree with us and yes. be open about it yes yes totally isn't it crazy yeah it's so cool <laughs> so how do you take care of yourself as a leader so what do you do to take care of yourself well I think I mentioned this already but boundaries I've just learned that boundaries are really important like there's certain times when I'm available and certain times when I'm not because I've definitely got caught in the cycle of my door is always open 24 hours a day and I have no time to recharge and there was a period of time a number of years where I would definitely be defined as like a workaholic and I but I produced less good things in that time I think than I have since I started creating boundaries because I wasn't feeding my soul. Like I was being motivated, motivated by taking care of other people all the time and making sure that they got the answers that they needed for me, that I would do what I told them I was going to do for them. Um, but I wasn't leaning on anybody for support or help mm -hmm. either. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I just learned slowly, but surely about boundaries and I had heard the term a number of years ago yes no negotiate and I would always tell people to use it but I would never <laughs> I would never use it um, and then I don't know I don't know when it changed and I could say that maybe COVID actually brought that all to light for me pretty big because I was the closest to probably having a nervous breakdown that I've ever been yeah. with all of that but I think that really helped me realize that balance was the best thing and that I need to spend time, you know, having hobbies and, and spending time with people outside of work that make me happy. And yeah, so that I can, that I have some substance when I walk back in those doors to, to add to the room and, and room inside of me to let myself grow so that I can let more people in too. Right. Cause over a period of time, when I was doing that, I was like, I felt like I was just getting smaller because that part of me wasn't growing at all. So I had no more room to let people in. And, and then I, you know, I would start to become very like just task orientated and that's it because right. I didn't have room. So yeah, bound, boundaries and doing things that, that, yeah, that I love outside of work too, is I think the best way that I can take care of myself. That's really cool. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think um, boundaries, we all struggle with. I struggle big time with boundaries. I remember when I started thinking about boundaries, I was talking to like a therapist or something. And I was like, I just don't even understand what they are. And I remember her looking at me being like, oh, girl, you got a long ways to go. <laughs> I was like, I start with the textbook definition. Yeah. <laughs> 
how do you define your boundaries? She's like, oh my God, seriously. <laughs> it is difficult though. It. Yeah, What's like that? when you when you find fulfillment taking care of other people and in other people's success and stuff, it's really hard thing to do to say no or and a lot of people too will come to you with like very time sensitive things. Yes. Right? Time yeah. sensitive issues and you kind of gotta put everything on hold and then the all everything gets backed up, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, a, a long learning curve with stuff like that, but worth it to invest in practicing it. Yeah, totally. So I was going to ask this question kind of around giving back, but I think I'd like to ask it in a broader sense. So what has been the most memorable moment of your career and your growth path path as a leader? Like what's been the most memorable thing for you or what comes to mind right now is something if that helps too, but you've had some pretty cool experiences in your career. Yeah. I like, I would like to like in you know, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, there's got to be somebody else's success that defines mine. But they're, that's all their own decision, whether they choose that successful path or feel motivated by this industry or whatever. So I don't know, I think I don't have one thing that really defines how I feel about this job or my career. I just feel really lucky. You know, I think of all the people that I've met along the way that I'm still friends with and are still in the industry or who have moved on, then they've all shaped my life. Like outside of my family and a few very close friends, nearly everyone who's in my life who I can remember having a part in shaping it comes from this industry. Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel so closely tied to it. And so I think the whole thing actually defines, is a big part of defining who I am. So I think that's beautiful. Yeah, that's all I know. (laughs) It became so clear um, to me too in the pandemic and when all of this set in. So this podcast exists because of that. Mm -hmm. So basically we like shut down on the March 17th. And I said to Tim, I was like, how do I talk to all these people? How do I stay in communication? I can't go. And I was like literally having a panic attack. Like I can't walk into a store. I can't see them. I can't. I can't even see the GMs right now. Like, this is crazy. And so I went to bed that night and I woke up in the middle of the night with this idea. <laughs> and then I was like, you can't do a podcast. <laughs> Anyhow, so this is how this has transpired, but it was only meant to be like a few episodes um, during the lockdown and just to like kind of build this connection. Um, and I get people like text me all the time being like, don't stop doing that podcast. Like, cause people still feel disconnected. They still don't. And you know, somebody like you, Meg, like everybody in Edmonton's going to be like, Meg was on, right? Like they're going to be so excited <laughs> to hear your voice and hopefully see you on YouTube. Yeah. Right? And like, so it's very interesting how, um, the, that those connections, they like, they spider web so far too. Like, I feel like my industry connections are just so huge. And I like, yeah, I owe like everything to the hospitality industry too. It's been, it's been an incredible journey. And it's also um, allowed me to be so creative. I don't know if you recognize that, but it's like a very creative industry. We get so much freedom (laughs) to like really just kind of lead however there's not these preconceived notions generally at least there wasn't for us and like we were able to build all these models and try all these things that were just super fun and 
and I might even say life-changing in a lot of ways for a lot of us, right? And I often think about like the first day when uh, me and you and Pam went out on the heart cart and it was like the very first time, you know, and we're on this, the three of us are on this (laughs) truck and we're just like literally like laughing and partying and having so much fun all the way down the street. We weren't drinking, but (laughs) but it was like, like we were like literally on a high and I often think about that day and I'm like, man, that was that like truck's inaugural journey it's first yeah, what an idea like what an idea like this truck is just meant to feed people there will never be any money collected off of it and just other people that are nice other people like it takes a, a an amazing amount of like will and perseverance to bring an idea like that to light but then like so then you have the truck there but then you have all these people who are just stoked about it and want to take part in it and want to find all these awesome people throughout the city that deserve to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And you know, awesome. yeah. And then it also opens your eyes to all these really amazing things that people are doing out there that you would have never had any idea about. Yes. I've learned before. so many things. Um, and I also was going to say that I, I think not, I think I know it's actually taken dedication and, um, maybe boundaries to stick to why we built it in the first place. Like literally like two days ago, somebody who knows very well texted me and asked me to rent it out. And I was like, and, and, you know, I have to be like, you know, this is a time where we're making a lot of money. Yeah. we start this? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not why we built it. Right. And so as soon as we bend on that, then we lose the meaning behind it. Right. So, yeah. And that's why those values are so important. Right. And it's not just company values. A lot of, a lot of people think that company, you know, a lot of times company values are very much about the bottom line and how to get there as opposed to the people that are, you know, if you have the right people and the, the right, everybody has that, those shares, those same values, you'll get to that bottom line. Right. No matter what. So those values are, I think, learning about values and how to define them in a workplace and stay true to them when everybody has different expectations, especially in the hospitality industry. Like one person comes in your door and they're like, I don't care. I like my pizza burnt. And the next person comes in and they're like, I like it kind of raw. And the next person comes in and you know what I mean? Like everybody's so different. So, um, being adaptable and, and being able to learn how to apply your values and, and those things to each situation is a real skill and being able to, yeah, have boundaries and say, this is why we did this. And this is why we're always going to do this. Yeah. If the answer isn't, we're taking care of somebody, then no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. But it's a, it's, it's hard, you know, and like, when you say, you know, a lot of companies have values based in like the bottom line. Um, I think they do that because it looks like a direct path to success. Mm-hmm. Now the problem with that is there becomes a disconnect, right? It's not, it's not personal. It doesn't connect people to their hearts and their feelings. And when we don't believe that we're doing something bigger than ourselves, we're not intrinsically motivated. Right. So, Yeah. yeah. So I think this is a good place to talk about (laughs) 
probably people make the world beautiful. Hey, yeah. <laughs> start talking about this intrinsic motivation and what motivates, what, what sparks that fire in our hearts and, you know, all of those <laughs> kinds of things. I think that, um, yeah, this is just, has been such an incredible experience and you were part of the, really the initiation of people make the world beautiful. So you've seen it from, from the get-go. So I'm sure you have lots of people make the world beautiful stories, but I was wondering if there was one that you would like to share uh, with the- Yeah, I day. do have so many. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> kind of writing a list of them. And I was like, I don't, I don't even know where to start because, you know, there's little ones, there's big ones, and they all like make my heart swell from, you know, I have a, a waitress at work who often will, you know, she connects with so many people and I'll be, you know, working at the bar or something. She'll come up and she'll be like, just so you know, I bought Jody lunch today. I'm taking care of it for her. You can't imagine what's gone on in her week this week. And I just want her to know that she's okay here. And I'm just like, who are you? Like, you're amazing to be, to be so caring to this person that you see once a week and you know you just hear this little snippet of their story like she just blows my mind that she's that good of a person to care that much and then you know I think of of times like when uh, at Windermere we had a girl who lost her brother and she lost him while she was on shift at Windermere and it was so awful like it was the most awful week and the whole team got together and we had a pretty good group of regulars there. And that week they put on a bake sale for her and everybody made cookies and did all these things. And um, they raised enough money in just this one table, tiny little bake sale. And by telling, you know, her story and letting, letting everyone know how much she meant to us that she was able to take like a month off work to be able to be with her family and help sort things out and start working through some stuff. But probably one of the biggest people make the world beautiful moments that I've had in a long time is there's, um, this is kind of a long-winded story, but whatever. <laughs> you can edit me out. I love them. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I love them. Bring it on. So um, Karen and Deb have this close friend and he works at a car dealership here and Karen and Deb have met him through buying delivery vehicles and stuff like that for the shops. And he's just always been such a nice guy to be around. He's so helpful and, you know, just a really kind person that there's not a huge connection, you know, you don't spend a lot of time with, but you can just tell they're just an awesome person. And him and his wife um, adopted this little girl named Casey and she was just the sweetest thing. You'd always see pictures of her online and stuff. And she was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia when she was just two, I think two and a half. And you know, so they started going through all the motions that they had to with hospitals and all of this stuff. And it was just a heartbreaking story for a family to have to go through that anyways. Yeah. And it came to a time where she um, had the opportunity to get some not experimental treatments, but some additional treatments that weren't like really covered under healthcare and stuff like that. And she had to go out to Tor Toronto for these treatments and their insurance wouldn't cover these treatments or the travel, um, the Ronald McDonald house was full already for her length of stay and she needed to be there for a month. So her family was looking at, you know, being on one income, uh, the, the family being split up for an entire month during like an incredibly trying time. Mm -hmm. And then enduring the costs of hotels and medical treatments and all that stuff, which we know is insane. And so 
uh, Karen and Deborah just like, we have to do something. We have to do something. And I was like, okay, well, I'm a planner. <laughs> I know what we're going to do. And we threw a huge fundraiser for her, but everybody that was involved just like pitched in for the family. So we had a guy who donated his time to show up and be Santa Claus. And he was like kind of a dirty Santa, but like, <laughs> I like dirty Santa. Santa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was so fun. And we had, um, we had a company like sponsor us and build like kind of this winter wonderland out in our big backyard that we have in the mission. And um, so people were like donating to get their pictures taken with Santa. We had, I don't know, something like 75 vendors and, and different businesses donate for a silent auction, like a crazy amount of stuff. And we did like all these different fun games and 50, 50, we had a band play that um, I think they donated their time as well. Like it was just such a coming together of people supporting to help get this family. The, the goal was for them to be together through this, not to have to be split up and not to have to worry about money during a time when that just shouldn't matter at all. Yeah. And in that, in that one day, that one weekend, uh, like the community pitched in and raised $17,000 to give to that family. Isn't that insane? Wow. And just through like, you know, just like here, just, yeah, every five bucks counts, every 50 bucks counts, every, everything. And you know, then they all got to be together for this month. And that was like a whole community making such an impact on one family's life. And it was overwhelming, I think, for them, big time that like that many people were being like, yeah, we care about you. And it was amazing what the power of, you know, sometimes social media can do because, you know, Karen just posted this out on her page. And so did Deb and just like, people came flocking to hear this little girl's story and not to say that this is why, but she's recovered now. And she's, I think she's like four and a half and she's the cutest little thing. And it's like, it's amazing to see all those people come together and care about somebody else. That you know, was and my question. I was like, are you going to tell me about the little girl or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to her? <laughs> yeah so she's doing really good and her family is I think doing really well and they seem happy and like they have some space to breathe now but I'll I'll always remember that because so many people pitched in their time to make sure everything went right and there was so many people that were just like no don't worry about what this costs like syntax we're like no we'll bring you rolls and rolls of red carpet for your red carpet out to Santa's paradise in the yard like all these tiny little things that you think are like hey I need this for this and this and this but everybody was like no all the money is going to go to taking care of this family and we just need to make sure people come out and have a good time and and know why we're here wow that's incredible yeah it's I so crazy sometimes we think like if we can only and I'm going to really use this with parentheses but if we can only help a little that it might not be worth it. Mm-hmm. But like your story super highlights the importance of like a community coming together and how, yeah, you even said it, but like every $5, it counts, mm-hmm. right? It makes a difference at the end of the day. And um, yeah, it gave them some time that I'm sure they'll be grateful for for the rest of their lives. Totally. And people who were involved in it too, 
just feel so good. And I know feel empowered leaving a weekend like that to want to do something good. And also knowing that if they meet somebody who needs help or know of a story that there's a community of people out there who will, will help them if they need it. And I think that's pretty amazing too, because I'm sure there's stories that shoot off from that branch off from that, where people connected and found, you know, help through, you know, whether it was monetary or emotional support or sharing their stories, like a lot of things probably came from that weekend. And yeah, it's always been a source of pride. Yeah, totally. (laughs) You never know. You never know. (laughs) That's so cool. I I love that story. I think that's beautiful. I want to do um, a really quick heart lightning round with you. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question, and it's just like the first answer that comes to mind. It's really, really, really chill, (laughs) but you didn't get to know them. (laughs) So the first one, what are you grateful for today? Today, specifically, oh, man, I woke up just feeling uh, grateful for where I live today. There was a little bit of frost on the ground. Um, but it's still really beautiful here. And I woke up to a house full of people that I love and adore. So yeah, I just woke up feeling lucky today. That's awesome. And if there was one word to describe the way you lead from the heart, what word would you use? Uh, Emotionally, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I like that word. That works for you for sure. And what, what has been your focus or your intention for 2021? What have you been focusing on in your life? I've been focusing on um, boundaries and balance in my life this year. And it's been awesome because I've been able to give back to so many other people, I think, and build more meaningful relationships through that. So it's working for me. Good. I'm glad I would, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> I understand them now too. So I would recommend as well. <laughs> I did learn it. I figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. This I have loved this, Meg. This has been great. Um, yeah. As we wrap it up today, are there any like closing thoughts, anything I didn't ask you about you wanted to share? Uh, no, I think. I'm just really um, grateful to that you have asked me. I feel honored to be on this podcast. And I think anybody who's listening um, who would want to do it should reach out to you because it's so neat. I listened to a bunch of them and I think it's really interesting to hear other people's perspectives and challenges in this industry, no matter if they're, you know, in hotels or, or wherever they deal with people in general to hear how they deal with yeah, leading other people and, and figuring out their own journey. There's just so much to be learned. And maybe it's your, you're going to find that one sentence that stands out to you this time that you've probably heard a a thousand times before, but yeah, hearing what's going on in people's lives. Sometimes when you're asked the right questions, you get a different answer. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. yeah, I'm thankful for this and thanks for wanting to hear my story. Oh, I always want to hear your story. There's, a, I, I could podcast with you for two hours, but I promise you I'd keep it to an hour. Thank you for sharing your heart and for being with me on Canadian Thanksgiving. I'm very yeah. grateful. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving to you too. Thank you so much for listening. It's been an honor sharing this podcast with you. 
If you like it, share it with a friend. We're always made stronger by supporting one another. And if you'd like to learn more about The Inspired Leader, you can find me at theinspiredleader.com, The Inspired Leader on Facebook, Instagram, Stone underscore underscore, A-L-L-Y, and LinkedIn at Allie Stone. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to connect.